Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. There is a a, a function in trading that everyone tries to address. And that is what's known as the behavioral gap. And the behavioral gap is the distance between the difference between profit you would have made, profit you did make. It's an efficiency gap. And it's a behavioral gap because often that differential is a function of your behavior, your fear, your greed, whatever. And so it's a matter of going back and saying, well, the system said do this, did I do that? Yes. Therefore, the trade's a plus one. Even if it was a loss, it's still a plus one. If you didn't follow the system, then the trade is a minus one. Even if you made money, it is still a minus one because you did not follow the system. The aim is what you're trying to do is narrow that behavioral gap to increase your own efficiency. Hi, it's journalist Caroline Stephen here. COVID-19's quarantine continues. And today on episode 294 of Talking Trading, we feature the second half of Chris Tate's interview on pandemic trading. As Chris continues to answer Trading Game Mentoree's most burning trading questions for him during this time. Last week, David Dunlop and Sue Napoli wrote in with some fantastic questions. And today we look at distraction and concentration whilst trading, behavioural gaps, idiot levies, and Johnny's on the spot. There's no doubt CT has a way with words. But first today, let's hear some wisdom from Louise Bedford in these times in Mind Power and the real reason why support is essential. As Chris Tate is fond of reminding us, you will benefit more by being out of the market during those worst days compared to being in the market all of the time. Now, if you're out of the market in these worst times, what that means is that you won't have those massive jagged spikes downward with your equity curve. Not only will it be easier on your psyche, your bank balance, your equity level can recover more easily. Because the harsh fact with financial mathematics is that if you lose 25% of your money, it takes 33.3% to gain on your next trade to reach break even. So you always have to make more money than you think. And this is one of the reasons why research suggests that people who have a financial support group make 2-3% more per annum on a consistent compounding basis compared to those who try to go alone and do this without support. 
There's a reason for this. It's more surprising than perhaps you'd first think. First off, you'd think that would be because, hey, they're getting a mini Warren Buffett here. They're getting stock tips from their friends. They're getting a financial advisor who is a star at keeping them out of the worst days and in for the best days. But no, the research suggests that because we are victims of our own trading psychology and behavioural finance doesn't come naturally for most of us in terms of getting a positive edge, we need support to keep us going, to keep us in the market for long enough, to stop chopping and changing systems because we know we always go into drawdown at the beginning of a new system. We need people around us to keep us firm and to stop us from making stupid decisions, which is something that we're all prone to do if we're left to our own devices. So think about those around you. Are they supporting you in the way that you need? Are they using your language? Are they caring for you, but also being your unreasonable friend so that you can stand strong? And if they're not, for goodness sake, find some people who care for you. Find some people with knowledge, with understanding about your situation so that you can live the trader's life. Hey, it's Chris Helder here, author of Cut the Noise. I just want to say talking trading is awesome. And now we feature the second half of Chris Tate's interview on pandemic trading, featuring questions from Trading Game mentorees. This is a question from Jeff Moore, and this is probably my favourite question that's been asked. CT, as an assist to task focus, do you leave your mobile phone in the other room when you're trading? No. Because, it, uh, well, there's a few reasons for that. Nobody rings me. So... It's it's just a friggin' paperweight that tells me the time and tells me how far I've ridden on the bike. On a place podcast too, and that, that's all it does because nobody rings me. It's a little bit like this notion of social distancing. That's easy. I haven't been to a party for 30 years anyway. <laughs> so I don't see what the issue is. Uh, look, my, my view of things like trading is that if you can't, if you have to operate in the cone of silence in some way, shape or form, then, then there is probably there's probably an issue with your interaction with the market or the system. If you have to hype yourself to that point, then th- there is something wrong. Granted, you know what distractions, you know what people annoying you, yada yada yada, blah blah, whatever. But it's not brain surgery, it's not rocket science. You're using the keyboard to type in a few numbers, and granted, analysis is best done by yourself, but it doesn't mean that you lock yourself in a vault that's hermetically sealed and has radiation shielding so nothing gets in. It's no different from performing any other task that requires a degree of concentration. There's nothing, there is nothing special about trading. It is just a task and it's a very mechanistic task so that, you know, once you've done the analysis and gone, I'll do that, at that price stop goes here. It's simply a matter of typing it in uh, and you should be able to do that. If you can reverse park a car with the radio on, you should be able to do that. Do you 
ever have a signal come up on your system and go, oh, God, I don't want to take that because I'm going to take a loss or I might take a loss? Oh, look, that, that is one of those things that everybody runs into in that, and this will happen particularly when these mark, equities markets begin to swing. You will get signals appearing and you'll think, Christ, I have to take it. Even, even though the market's taken a battering and an absolute caning, the system has still generated a signal. Now, there is a way around that. You simply drop the percentage risk so that any smack you take is a light smack, but you have maintained your fidelity with the system and your faithfulness to it because sooner or later, one of those signals will generate on the Dow You'll ignore it because you think, oh, no, the market's gone down. It can't possibly go up ever again. And you will leave probably five, six, seven thousand points on the table. And it will be one of those game-changing trades. And then you'll go to the kitchen and stick your head in the oven. Next question from Next Mentoree. Is Nigel Hope, is there a way of trading volatility? There is. You can either trade the VIX directly which, to pardon the pun, is an incredibly volatile instrument. The other is by being an options trader. Options writers traditionally fall into one of a few camps. They either sell time or they sell volatility. What an options writer will do who trades volatility is they'll look for a dislocation between implied volatility, the perceptions of volatility generated by the pricing equation, versus historic volatility for the underlying instrument. There is a function of, or a feature of volatility in that it is always mean reverting. We assume that the historical volatility is always the mean, and that implied volatility will always revert back to it. So it operates a little bit like a thermostat. If you set your thermostat to 20 degrees, it doesn't hold 20 degrees. What it does is it swings up to 22, switches itself off, cools down, comes to 18, heats itself back up, and so it oscillates around that point. Volatility is a little bit the same. It is mean reverting, so it oscillates around that point. An options writer says, well, I'm aware of this. I understand this as a principle. So when implied volatility is a given factor above historic volatility, I'll write the option. The only problem with that, and this is a generalized statement with regarding options writing. Options writing is often put out there as some sort of magic little strategy that never loses money. It never loses money right up until the time they come and take your house off you. Because there is an old, there is a very, very old saying, and that is that options writers eat like birds, but they shit like elephants. The point being in that options writers make tiny profits, and when they encounter a loss, the loss is generally catastrophic in size. Oh, let's move on to the next question. Philip Sanchez, what issues do you tackle with your trading diary after the fact? Do you wait for a few days before starting your diary? No, not, re- not really. There is a, a, a function in trading that everyone tries to address. And that is what's known as the behavioural gap. And the behavioural gap is the distance between the difference between profit you would have made, profit you did make. It's an efficiency gap. And it's a behavioural gap because often that differential is a function of your behaviour, your fear, your greed, whatever. And so it's a matter of going back and saying, well, the system said do this, did I do that? Yes. Therefore, the trade's a plus one. Even if it was a loss, it's still a plus one. 
if you didn't follow the system, then the trade is a minus one. Even if you made money, it is still a minus one because you did not follow the system. The aim is what you're trying to do is narrow that behavioural gap to increase your own efficiency. Yes, there'll be times when you're late, times when you're early. They're just functions of the way it is. But after a very, very long time of doing this, you find that you actually become, you take comfort in the mechanistic nature of it, which is why the fewer rules you have that are more principle-based, the more efficient your trading becomes. So if your system revolves around simply, well, I will take breakouts of a given magnitude above a certain point, that's a very simple universal rule. If you've got 32 conditions after that, then all of a sudden you're introducing 32 points at which your interpretive error can creep back into the system. So any post-dictive analysis for me simply looks at, did I follow the rules? Yes or no? It's very binary. It, one, but one of the problems that people who are obsessive about going back and looking at trades run into is they run into hindsight bias. And we come back to that notion of, if only I'd picked the right six numbers for Tats Lotto last mm. week. Yes, but you didn't, so shut up. If your system works, if it has an edge, that sort of beating yourself about the head really doesn't do anything for you. It, it doesn't help you in any way, shape or form. Granted, if you've made a mistake and cocked it up completely, that's a valid form of smacking yourself about the head. At what if percentage in that performance gap are you looking where you think getting out of the okay zone? Yeah, you can actually see it. when What you actually do is you can actually sit down with moves and say, system said enter here, exit there. Theoretical maximum profit is why. All right, where did I get in and get out? Now, if, you're, if you've got as much of that as humanly realistically possible, barring timing issues and all the rest, let's say, for example, you're trading a short-term system and the signal occurs at 1 a.m. in the morning, mm. but you don't see it till 6. Well, that's an acceptable drop in efficiency. There's nothing you can do about that. So it's a matter of you take those things into account. But if the signals occurred at 1 a.m. and you don't take it till 4.30 the following day, that's your idiocy gap. That, that, that is the idiot levy that you pay for being slow. The idiot levy. Very much so. And that will show up over time. When you start to look at your results and you look at what your efficiency gap is, if it's huge, then that's an idiot levy that you're paying to the market. You have a problem with taking signals or taking trades. Granted, many people have a problem in that they can't simply go. They want hours, weeks, months, days, years of confirmation before they actually go. Mm. Even to the point where I've heard the ridiculous statement of, I can't possibly buy something until I've had two and a half years of confirmation. Let me know how that works out. On a short-term system, do you trade the same time every day? Yes. You have to. And this, this is one of the drawbacks of short-term systems that people don't understand, is that you need to be effectively Johnny on the spot so that you see the close of the market and you're in that trading period post, post the nominal close, not the true close because most markets are now 24 hours a day, but you want to see the or be around the close of that day session so that you know what it is. 
And this is what catches people. They think, for example, with a four-hour system that they can look at it at 3.30 the following afternoon. No, you can't. If you're not looking at it by 9 or 10 in the morning, at the very latest, you're starting to introduce the idiot levy. And this is what catches people. And and they misunderstand what short-term systems are. With a daily system, you can get away with it. With a weekly system, you can get away with it because of the lag in the system and the time frame you're looking at. But if you're trading hourly or four hourly or even less, it's not one of these things where you can just be lax and be lazy about it. You've got to be there at that time. That's the time you clock on. If you can't bother turning up to work at the time you're supposed to, you probably shouldn't be doing the job or you probably should give yourself the sack. What final bits of advice would you give to traders in these markets? Do not try and trade the turn. Granted, Twitter is a buzz of people going, I'm going to get the turn, I'm going to get, I'll get the low. No, you won't. What you'll do is get ground up into a paste and thrown out. Because the money's not actually made there. If you look at the S&P 500 and you look at the turn from the GFC, the vast amount of money was made not as the market turned in 2008, it was made 2009 post. So it was made post the turn, not on the turn. Uh, many people, particularly male traders, unfortunately, and particularly those on social media, little head tends to do most of the thinking. Big head doesn't get a look in. So they just don't think sensibly about what's going on. They're too busy trying to be heroes. Don't be a hero. Let some other idiot go first because the money is made in the years post the turn, not during the turn. CT, thanks for the chat. Not a problem. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you to Jeff Moore, Nigel Hope and Philip Sanchez for your questions. Stay tuned for next week's episode because we have a fantastic interview with the brilliant behavioural psychologist, Dr. Daniel Crosby. You'll love him. I'm Caroline Stephen. Take care. Stay well. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. This is super important because word of mouth is the most powerful way that people can get in touch with us. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review because it helps people find us. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation.